Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode 21 of Pigskins and Nylon. I'm Wally Lukashensky, and today is Sunday, September 12th, and I am dead inside. I'm joined, as always, by my buddies Casey Mock and Hayden Ramsey. The Buckeyes lost, the Hawkeyes won, and 12 other games happened. How were your guys' Saturdays? I had a fun Saturday yesterday. Got some people over. Got the host, really, for the first time in our new house. A lot of football. I didn't think that the games were that boring, Hayden. I'm not sure. <clears throat> I thought the Iowa game was pretty good, too. But we'll dive into that here in a little bit. Overall, great, great Saturday. Hayden, how are you holding up over there? I, I'm still trying to comprehend what happened yesterday. God, that, that was an absolutely brutal game to watch. And everybody knows I'm talking about the Ohio State game. That was horrible, but I, I did get to see Casey's new house, so that was, his house is really nice, it's a nice little neighborhood, so that was really cool. I was glad I got down there for that. Unfortunately, it might be the last time, Hayden said. He's very superstitious, and he thinks that, <laughs> he thinks that the house has bad juju or something. It seems like every time Hayden and I go watch the game somewhere, like, I don't know, there was a time in Ann Arbor, <laughs> just a bad feeling always happens, it seems like. Hopefully he'll get back down here. I get it, though. I mean, we've seen it now for the Purdue game. I've seen you two get together for a loss. Anytime somebody's playing around over there with Hayden, it feels like we start getting into close games, so we might actually have to lock Hayden away, make him watch them all by himself. (laughs) It's been the Purdue game. Of course, we all watched that one together. It was the Iowa game. I watched that game with Casey and about... 50 Michigan fans, so that was a real treat. And then, of course, yesterday, which wasn't bad because it was just a, a few of us, but it just seems like every time we get together, Ohio State blows a game. So, Thank God for the Wisconsin over bet at the end of the night for me because it was like I was struggling on real bets. Of course, I did really, really, really well in here, but real money bets, I had a rough Saturday, and thank God for the Wisconsin cover late. Because that, it really could have made a bad day, like Hall of Fame bad. So I at least recovered a little and have positive momentum going into the NFL Sunday slate, guys. I don't even remember. I think I did pretty decent yesterday as far as the covers go. I know the freaking Virginia-Illinois game, of course, hit the over by one point. That was disappointing. And then Minnesota. How about Minnesota struggling with Miami of Ohio? I did not expect that. But maybe maybe Mo Ibrahim's loss is really that big of an impact. I know you guys were talking Thursday about probably an additional two losses because of that injury. But man, I didn't think struggling with Miami of Ohio would be, uh, you know, in the in the play. I guess. And that was a twenty-one to three game at the half. And then, crazy enough, Miami comes out of the break. They bring it all the way to within one with like ten minutes left, and Minnesota is all of a sudden really panicking we will obviously talk more about that but that loss is i mean it looks like they adjusted a lot less than what we saw michigan do last night we'll get into that do you guys uh want to jump right into our recaps right now let's do it let's go illinois traveled to virginia to see our boy drew meyer which reminds me we will be having that interview right after this game we'll throw you over there but Virginia wins 42-14. to Artur Sikowski had to... He stepped in admirably again. 
But at some point, we're going to have to see Brandon Peters come back to this offense, or are we going to see Illinois kind of look like they have in years past? I mean, obviously, Brandon Peters provides a little bit more. I feel like, I mean, I didn't watch this game. I'm not going to lie. Um, but going 24 or 45 is not very good. QBR 52, it looks like. My goodness. Watching the Illinois games the previous two weeks, I just felt like Brandon Peters, his ability to stretch the ball downfield was a better than Art Sitkowski's, but I, I guess I'm not sure how big of an impact that's that's really going to be on the Illinois season. They have a rough, rough last two games after what we thought was a pretty decent win over Nebraska. We're all of a sudden back to where we were preseason where we had to say something nice about Illinois. <laughs> it's it's starting to get to that point again because, I mean, I, I didn't think they were going to win, but they got, like, blown out in this game. It wasn't even close. And Casey's right, like, losing Brandon Peters, yeah, it sucks, but it's not like he was amazing. I don't know if he makes a difference in this game if he plays either way, really. They look lost a little bit after uh, that week one big win. What killed me about this game, though, is Chase Brown has seven rush attempts. I, if you have a guy like Arter Sikowski in there right now, you have to protect him much more than that. Even if you fall behind early like they did, they were down 14 in the first five minutes of this game. I got to see like a quarter and a half before the noon games kicked off. But anyways, it was painfully evident that Illinois' pass defense is also an extreme liability. And Virginia picked up on that very early. I mean, this is a team that gave up almost 300 yards through the air against UTSA. And in Virginia, no disrespect to them, they're not a team that should be throwing for 420 yards against you in a game. It doesn't look good. I, I know that we were very high after that first win, saying that we have at least noticed a coaching, uh, I guess, difference. They looked more motivated even the players at that point but they've got some tough days ahead and we're going to see a lot about Brett Bielma because it's going to be very easy to lose a locker room like this if he really has instilled a new culture this is where I think it's going to start showing itself I completely agree and you know they better get it together quick they play they play a Friday game this coming week against a Maryland team that I mean I think can really throw the ball and probably really expose Illinois' pass defense once again. And this game, I, I remember now, this game was playing on the iPad. And when Virginia scored in the third quarter, I was like, oh, my gosh, the over is going to hit, like, big time, not even going to be close. And then it got halfway through the fourth quarter, and it was still under. I was like, oh, my gosh, no way, no way. And then Virginia ended up scoring again. I was ticked off. But, yeah, 423 passing yards given up. My goodness. That's all we got for this game. Let's throw it over now to Drew Meyer.
And now we welcome back a very special guest. You Bucky fans already know him. From 2012 to 2015, he was the Wisconsin Badgers punter. In that time, he had the most punts in school history at 256. The most games played in Badgers history at 54. Was a special teams coach at the best high school in Wisconsin. Before joining Bronco Mendenhall at Virginia as a grad assistant for three years. Now he's in the midst of his second season as a special teams analyst. Here's the legend himself, Drew Meyer. How are you doing, buddy? I'm good, Wally. Thanks for having me back on. Dude, we're so excited to have you back on. I know the guys were bummed out they couldn't get in here today, but with their high school schedule, they weren't able to make it happen right now. But I guess I got to just start off, first of all, what's been going on in your life? It's been about three, four months since we've got to talk to you. Yeah, definitely laying off the bat, too. I mean, Friday Night Lights, that's the heartbeat of, of football. So, you know, wish those guys all the best of luck tonight. But, but for us, yeah, we've just been, uh, you know, it's been a while since we last caught up. I think it was in the spring, right? And so... You know, we had a nice little summer vacation, was able to get home, see the family. Uh, for coaches, you know, our break is in July, so it's a recruiting dead period. So June was heavy recruiting this year, just coming out of the pandemic. So official visits every weekend, recruits on campus. Uh, and uh, so then got the month of July for the most part off to go home, see family, refresh, renew, and get ready for the season. And so, you know, we, we got back to work July 27th, started camp, you know, that first week of August. And uh, yeah, we're just prep, you know, prepping for the season and, uh, it was a little different this year. Camp was shorter than in the past years. Uh, the NCAA kind of cut it down and, and some of the rules with practices and two days and things like that. Uh, so as a coaching staff, we felt a little more rushed uh, for the first time where it was like, oh my gosh, we got a game in seven days. and We got seven practices left or whatever, you know, to, to get everything in. But at the same time, I think it was good. I think our team's ready. They're hungry. Uh, obviously, was able to, you know, to get a win last week, which was really fun and got another great opportunity tomorrow. Yes, you do. And I wanted, wasn't even going to ask you about recruiting, but since you brought it up, I'm glad that you did. We were talking a lot, especially here, once the dead period ended, after that crazy long break. It has to have been insane for you guys in a recruiting avenue just because you have these guys that haven't been able to visit for like a year plus. Now, all of a sudden, free reign around the country. Did it have kind of like an added pressure to you guys this year or simply having that kind of recruiting back it was kind of organic for you. Yeah, definitely. It was uh, it was new waters, to be honest. I mean, normally we have, you know, there's certain time periods where we can bring guys on official visits, where this year it was pretty much June. And so each weekend, you know, we had six to 12 guys coming on a weekend. And, uh, you know, so that was packed. And, I mean, then those weekends are long. They're training. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you always have to be on. Your switch has got to be on. Uh, now, I think for our staff, it, it isn't as bad just because, I think we genuinely enjoy building personal relationships and connections with people. Um, and I think a lot of the guys, the young men that we brought on trips, we had those you know relationships already previously with through Zoom calls and things like that. Um, because to us, what matters is the people. Um, and so for us, it was pretty easy because we felt like we were just picking up where we left off, you know, through telephone calls and whatnot. Um, but at the same point, you know, it's fun to see guys in person. <laughs> and it's fun to see what their body types look like and just get to, you know, put a name to a face three-dimensionally. Um, and so... There was a little bit of pressure. I know there was a lot of trying to figure out, okay, what is best to bring the guys we want on the first weekend or the last weekend or whichever weekend works best for them, you know, or, you know, because some guys want to make their decision right at the end. Or if they were close, do you bring them early and then, you know, give them the experience they want and hopefully then they say yes and they choose you off the bat and they cancel the other visits. You know, like, so there's the, the, the game within the game of trying to figure out when to plan and who to bring when. Um, and so that's very customized and individualized as well, but. Uh, yeah, so there was a little bit of pressure, but at the same time, it was fun. It was great to see 
uh, recruits and have them on grounds and have them on campus and uh, just get to you know know them at a deeper level, spend that quality time with them and their families, and, and really just get to enjoy all the work you guys have put in behind the scenes and now get to show them exactly what for us UVA is about, what the school is about, the history, the tradition, uh, you know, the education, what it's going to look like, what their experience will be. And we will get into some of these guys, especially because I noticed when I was looking at this, your punter six four, and we're going to get into that here in a second because that's bothering me as a short man. That feels like there's no avenue for me to get into college football anymore if I've got to be a freak athlete even to be a punter too. Well, before we get too crazy into the college football talk, I have to first of all congratulate you. You're a diehard Milwaukee Bucks fan. This summer, you had the opportunity. You were there for game six when you guys got to close that championship out. That has to be one of the high-ranking sports experiences you got to at least see in person. What did that championship mean to that area? Because I feel, especially in the Midwest, we don't have those big markets outside of Chicago. So when we finally see a team like the Bucks break through, I feel like all of these smaller areas are all kind of rallying behind you. And it looked insane up there in Milwaukee. Yeah, I was really fortunate, Wally, and, and just the way that it worked out this year. And, and with the NBA playoffs being later on in the, in the year, uh, you know, typically that's May and June, you know, when the championships wrapped up. And, uh, but it fell during July, which was when we get our break as coaches. And so I actually had to come back to do a couple of days of office days. There were like three days, the 14th through the 17th. So I was able to go to game five of the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, go to game three of the finals, but then I had to drive all the way back to Virginia. And so I was sitting back here. We actually took the guys to a, to a baseball game in Richmond on that Saturday night, uh, right before game five. And then when they won game five late, you know, I stayed up to watch the whole thing out here because all the games are an hour later on the East Coast. And as soon as they won game five, I started looking at plane tickets home. And so uh, had a little, I was on with American Airlines on hold for like an hour. So the price went up like 120 bucks for my flight, unfortunately, like, cause I was trying to figure out their, their cancellation policy because it was within two days I was booking the flight and uh, but was able to get home uh, relatively cheap, make it back for, for game six. Um, and uh, ended up actually buying a ticket. It's like seven, seven fifteen the night of the game. I met up with my cousins and some friends in South Milwaukee at an establishment to watch the game. But I was like, you know what, all day long, I've been trying to get tickets. I, been on Ticketmaster checking prices and, and nothing really worked out. And then at 7.15, I finally got through. And I was like, guys, I'm going. And they all gave me a hug and we were all jumping around. And I hopped on a shuttle, you know, that was going up to the Deer District, got up there, uh, made it in. I know, you know, the Tainai family, but Ben Tainai, you know, was singing the national anthem, which was so cool to watch him do that. And I got to see that a couple times throughout the playoffs. But just, you know, here's a clinching game in the NBA playoffs. And, um, and I, I had a nosebleed seat, so I was up in the upper deck, but a good buddy from Madison we grew up playing basketball against each other. Um, he was the row in front of me. So here I am. I'm like, I'm just going by myself, feeling like you're with strangers. But at the same time, you know, it's game six in the NBA finals. Everybody in the arena is your friend. And there are 100,000 fans outside. I mean, it was chaos trying to get into the arena even. Uh, an old, you know, teammate of mine and friend growing up, Ryan May uh, from Arrowhead. He's, he was working the game as a cop and I ran into him because I was just trying to figure out how to even get to the arena because there were so many people. And then streets closed down. Um, but so got in up there, watched the first half up there, and then one of my best friends, Mikey Fox, he and his family were down in Section 108, and he's like, yo, there are extra seats down by us that nobody came to sit in. He's like, come on down. And so the whole second half, I went down and joined them. Uh, we were about 8, 12 rows off of the court, and yeah, it was it was amazing to watch. It was amazing to witness. Uh, for that city, what they've been through from the team potentially leaving and being sold, but Herb Cole making sure that he wanted to keep 
the Bucks in Milwaukee because uh, Milwaukee is a, it's a basketball town. It's a basketball city. Uh, you know, they're talented prospects every year coming out between, you know, some of these young guys, Pat Baldwin, you know, Jalen Johnson, uh, the Ellerson brothers. Uh, obviously, the Housers were a little farther north up at Stevens Point, but, like, Milwaukee and Wisconsin is a basketball state. Uh, you know, Jerry Smith back in the day, you know, Devin Harris, all those guys. Uh, and, uh, you know, Crown Butler, too. He was Racine, but, you know, not, not, not to get too far in the past. But, I mean, growing up in Milwaukee, you know, when I was a kid, I was at that prime age in 2001 when we made that run in the Eastern Conference Finals against Allen Iverson when we had Ray Allen, Tim Thomas, you know, big dog Len Robinson, Key Tractor Trailer, all those guys. And so after that loss in the Eastern Conference Finals, obviously then the next season we traded Ray Allen to the Supersonics for, for the glove and for Desmond Mason. And, um, you know, that was kind of the end of that era with Sam Cassell and those guys and Ray Allen and Glenn Robinson. And, uh, so it was, there was a lot of heartache then from 2001 all the way until 2021 this season. You know, that was 20 years of a pretty bad basketball to an extent, but guys that still played hard. You know, guys that we love as a fan base, Dan Gazarich, Michael Red, you know, Desmond Mason, the Cowboy, uh, you know, Ursan Ilyasova, Keith Van Horn. You know, you had the Andrew Bogut years, the TJ Ford years, you know, with the injuries and everything. And so, you know, you had a fan base that was hungry. They wanted it. Uh, you know, it had been... 50 years since the last championship and it just to be there for that moment to have Giannis drop 50 it was the quietest 50 point game I've ever seen too we looked up at the scoreboard at the end of the third start of the fourth and you're like oh my gosh he's got 37 points because uh, it just didn't seem like because he was just going to work getting to the basket getting to the rim doing his thing and making his free throws and uh, and so yeah the game ended they shot off the confetti we were all crying hugging each other next thing you know people just started walking down to the court so we walked right out onto the court nobody stopped us you know, so we were on the court for the trophy presentation. It was amazing. Um, Chris Tucker was like four people in front of me. We were talking with Yelly and, and Ryan Braun on the court. I was taking pictures for some, some girls and, and Aaron Jones, you know, the Packers running backs. I mean, it was nuts. And everyone was just friends hanging out, like just enjoying the moment. And it was, uh, I, you know, I stole some confetti and, and brought it home in my pocket and whatnot just to remember the night. But um, it was absolutely insane. I mean, the whole city had so much fun that night, just enjoying and celebrating the win. Um, and just, you know, I'm just so happy for the guys on that team, uh, for Coach Blood, for the organization, because of everything they've gone through and building the new arena. I mean, that was a huge risk in Milwaukee and that commitment that the owners made to keep the Bucks in Milwaukee to build the new arena for the city to, to make that commitment. Uh, it's really paid off. I mean, it's a spectacle. Uh, the arena itself, just one of the cooler entertainment venues I've ever been in. And there's just no bad seat in the house. And then there's so much to do. And it just, it's a place that Milwaukee can really be proud of. And obviously a team and a group of guys in Milwaukee can be proud of. You know, Chris Milton was drafted by the Pistons, traded, you know, after, you know, a year in the G League or whatever, coming over to the Bucks. Giannis, obviously, it took him a couple of years to grow into the player he is, um, you know, just out of Greece. You know, the humble guys, really, they came from, you know, the lowest of the low to an extent. Guys that weren't thought of, you know, as being the next superstar. You know, we had the struggles with Jabari and his injuries, but you know, even him, I feel like he's got a part of the championship. You know, like at least the fan base. You know, we recognize his efforts to help us get to where we are now. And uh, so, yeah, it was really cool. It was really special. I know when I got back and we started up in, in uh, July 27th, the coach even asked, he's like, "You know, Drew, you look like a different guy over there after the Bucks win the championship. You got anything to say?" And I was like, "Yeah, if you guys don't mind." And everyone started laughing, but it was like, "Hey, you know, I want that for us. You know, this year, I want that for UVA." And, you know, we got a fan base too that's been longing for great football and obviously success in lacrosse, basketball, women's swimming just won the national championship this past year. Women's soccer program is a dominant program. And so, you know, for us in football, I want 
UVA to experience what I just got to experience with the Bucks. And so, yeah, it was it was tremendous. I said I said to Yelly on the court after this, I said, hey, you guys are up next, and here we are. They're like 25 games up in first place or something like that, or 25 games above 500, having the best year in franchise history. So hopefully those guys can get it done uh, come October too. I feel like a lot of people outside of Wisconsin don't realize too because everybody just assumes Green Bay is just the Wisconsin team and all that where there's it's two hours away from Milwaukee. So when the Bucks win, it really feels like it's the city's championship. And to see that city, I guess, embrace that team the way they did, especially I can't remember what ESPN reporter said, oh my gosh, I don't want to have to go to Milwaukee. Like we want to go to a, a fun city. And that just felt wrong, especially the way you're describing it. Just phenomenal scenes. And I'm glad that you got to be there for it. Yeah, thank you. No, it was Stephen A. And, and that's, uh, but you know, that's Milwaukee. You know, it's the underrated. It's the chip on your shoulder. It's the, it's always cold most of, <laughs> most of the year. It just, you know, that was one thing I know I took pride in. And I think our team took pride in, you know, when I was in Wisconsin. It's just like, hey, we're going to show up in the dark. We're going to leave in the dark. It's going to be cold out. You're going to be miserable, but you're going to put in your work and you're going to, you're going to beat people down. And, um, and I think that there is that edge to the city of Milwaukee as well and, and for the Bucks, and, you know, just a bunch of guys that understood, they trusted the process, they trusted their growth, they believed in each other, they believed in their coach, and they believed in the city. And Giannis signed that Supermax. I mean, I almost was crying. I remember I was sitting right here when I got the text from Mikey Fox being like, did you see the tweet in all caps? And I'm like, oh, my gosh. He's like, he just did it uh, when he signed that Supermax. And, and, again, that meant so much to the city of him saying, hey, I believe in the city of Milwaukee too, and you guys believe in me and I believe in you guys, and let's do this here. Um, so there, obviously there are a ton of moving parts that made this thing all come together, but, uh, just so happy for the city. So happy for the players and the organization. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say on it too, is that there's not a better slogan for a city than bucks and six. The people that don't understand the origin of it. It's crazy to me with the Brandon Jennings talking about beating that super team, Miami LeBron's team bucks and six. It just feels perfect to embodiment that entire area. And now I can't help myself but say it even in like normal context and people don't know what I'm saying. Like, who's going to win the game tonight? Bucks and six. They just think I'm just like this lunatic or ignoring the conversation. Feel It's a Milwaukee saying and it just, it's so perfectly Cinderella story that you got to win the title in six. It was magical, Wally. And like down at UVA here, there are a lot of Bucks fans or, or, you know, Bucks fans in quotes because of Malcolm Brogdon, you know, because we drafted Brogdon out of, out of Virginia, and obviously he had a great career in Milwaukee before moving on to Indiana. But so I'll see people wearing Bucks gear all the time. I'll be like, yo, Bucks and six. And they look at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, yeah, you're wearing a Bucks jersey. And they're like, oh, I'm just a Brogdon fan. And it's like, okay, like, I get that. But, you know, so it is special. It does mean something to the city. And it is so fitting that we, when we finally did win the championship, it was in six games. And, uh, yeah, everyone was losing their minds. And the whole, like, Suns and Four thing, and people were like, oh, Suns and Four guy. And you're like, yo, this guy, no offense to him, but, like, he tried to get rich and famous off the slogan. Like, Brandon Jennings just genuinely was like, yo, I'm trying to pump confidence into our team, and then this is what I believe. And I love it because it's so Milwaukee. It's like, it's, it's like a lifestyle. You know, it's just bucks and six. Like, yeah, we might lose, too. You might, you might get hit out, you know, knocked out in the first or second round, but you're going to get up, and guess what? You're going to keep fighting, and you're going to win in six, you know? You got to lose two to win in six wall. You know, you're not, you can't get a sweep to win, win in six. So, you know, I think that that's, uh, you know, something even for life. Just sometimes you get knocked down, but you're going to keep getting back up and win at the end of the day. Perfectly said. It's that feeling of eternal optimism. And that's what I love about that state of what I love about that city. But I have to stop patting you on the back too hard and get into a couple other things here for you. We will jump into college football. And the first thing we were talking even before we started recording, I just can't help but ask people, 
Last year, we really got to see football in its naked form. No bands, no fans, truly just a product on the field. And at the time, we were just so happy to have football back. I don't think a lot of us understand or understood how much we were truly missing of that game day experience. You got to play William & Mary last week at home. Beat them 43 nothing. You get to see, I'm sure, even if it was delayed after the fact, you get to see the, the Camp Randall jump around. You see Enter Sandman against your rival, the Tech, when they hosted UNC. The scenes this last week were insane. What was it like being on a sideline with fans again? Was it as special as it felt for the fans like myself sitting with a beer on a couch at home? Yeah, it's to to be back somewhat to normal was just so refreshing and so nice. And, and after last year, uh, you know, there was an element of last year where I was like, okay, this is what football is about. And you really find out who loves the game rather than who loves the hype of game day, you know? And, uh, you know, I always used to laugh when we were in Wisconsin. I would get into Twitter occasionally with people about how the NCAA was selling those championship t-shirts that they give the players on the court afterwards. Cause I'm like, yo, like that means something. There's blood, sweat, and tears in those t-shirts. The fans were like, oh, well, there's no team without without fans. It's like, well, you look at last year. We, we played the games without fans. You know, you show up for practice without fans. You show up to workouts without fans. But in that essence is to have the fans there, um, have the people that really are there to support you, that care about you, um, to be able to have all the families there. I mean, even that, just being able to have all the families there uh, to support, you know, the players, to support, you know, the alumni that support the school. I mean, just to have fans was so refreshing and so much fun. Uh I know our guys really enjoyed it. I mentioned to you earlier, like we start off the game with a big 55-yard punt return, and the place was going, was losing it. It was the longest punt return we've had in my five years here, and everyone was going nuts. And uh, just to hear that roar of the crowd again, I mean, when they opened the gates and the students were running to get to the front row of the seats, uh, which hasn't happened here in the past at UVA. And, and so uh, to have the student section early, full, ready to go, I mean, it was it was pretty cool. I'm still a little disappointed watching the Wisconsin game at noon to see that the students weren't fully in the stands at kickoff. You know, they were still trickling their way in. So I know that's a big talking point back home. But uh, but I know for us it was uh, it was a lot of fun. It, there was great energy, and it really just kept our guys engaged, locked in. And it, honestly, I think some of the guys even struggled. We, we, we pride ourselves on the four side, um, engaging those fans, because obviously you have offense, defense, and special teams. And then you have the four side, which is the sideline in the stadium. And so using that to help propel – our momentum, our energy, our adrenaline. Uh, and some of our guys struggle with thinking like, hey, I got to go grab a towel and get the, get the crowd going because last year there was no crowd. Um, and so it, it was almost like, you know, we were a little rusty in that aspect of, of even on the sideline helping get the crowd into it just because guys that were younger had never been in the game with a crowd. So uh, I'm really excited for this week and as the season progresses to see how we continue to make that a well-oiled machine and, and just continue to, to churn out some home wins. Now, this is going to sound like I'm trying to dog you a little bit, and I'm not trying to. Just a genuine question. So you guys, since the start of 2019, you've defended home field. You're 13-1 in that stretch, even without the fans last year. But now, in that same period of time, you went, I want to say, 2-3 and three a few years ago and 0-4 oh on the road last year. Even without the fans, how do you guys get that, I guess, that translation of that energy to be able to really take a good season to make it a great season this year. Yeah, for sure. That's a, that was a huge point of emphasis this offseason, actually, Walter. So I'm glad you, you picked that out and you found that stat because um, we looked at a study earlier this year and I was actually was the one kind of really looking at looking at in the ACC what the records are on the road over the last you know five years in Coach Ben Hall's tenure here at Virginia, um, looking at 
the guys that won our division that won the coastal, what were their road wins uh, percentages? And essentially, what we came out to the formula was you have to win at least fifty percent of your road games in conference to win the division. Uh, and I, I bet that's common kind of anywhere you look. So uh, that was a statistic and a point of emphasis. So we train this spring and winter when we went on our we do. Uh, you know, Pride Fridays, we call them, which is our, our team workouts on Friday mornings or even sometimes on Saturdays. We take the team out and we literally run on the road. We take them on the road and we go run on the road. We're not running on the field. We're, we're going and we're running hills. Um, on the road, we're running up Observatory Hill here, uh, you know, doing sprints, different exercises, things like that, but getting on the road, putting the guys in the, in the road locker room. We practice at the stadium just trying to, you know, we talked about even moving locations, maybe going and practicing at a random high school going. You know, we went out to Richmond this year, actually, with the Washington football team, their, their facility for fall camp. We went and practiced there uh, just to get guys in different environments and different atmospheres and just get ready to showing up and going and playing. Uh, really trying to emphasize that, really trying to attack that um, to help flip the script. And we have a couple other surprises up up our belt that you know our guys don't know about for the road, but um, just doing little things and points of emphasis like that to try to help flip the, flip the script. Well, and sticking on the theme of road games real quick, we talked to you last time about some of your favorite venues that you've got to play in, whether that be the Big House, whether it be the Horseshoe or the Rose Bowls. Now, this year, you have a few fun ones here in the next couple weeks even. You go to Chapel Hill in Miami, but the one that caught my eye and I wanted to get your thoughts on was you go to BYU at the end of October. Bronco Mendenhall has that long history with the, the BYU Cougars. Head coach there for, I want to say, about a decade. He was there even before that. Is that something that you guys, coaches, players, that helps add to the motivation, or is it just business as usual once you get all the way out there to Utah? Yeah, I think, obviously, you know, anytime you can go on the road, it's a great opportunity to to kind of show who you are and, and to bring the team together. I know when I was a player, I loved almost playing on the road, like to an extent almost more than playing at home because there was the travel roster, and that was it. Like, it was you guys, and you knew that it was you – and that was all you had. You know, you didn't have anybody else to help you. You didn't have the crowd to help you. Like, you were going to find out what kind of a team you were and then who the guys in that locker room were. Um, but, yeah, going out to, to BYU, going out to Provo this year, obviously that's a, that's going to be a huge game for us. Uh, you know, we try not to look ahead, but in the offseason you always look at the schedule every year. And uh, You know, that game's going to mean a lot to a lot of people here. Now, you know, I never spent time at BYU, but I know for me personally, like, I want to win that game for coach and for the guys on our staff that all played there and coached there and, uh, you know, because it's not only just Coach Mendenhall. I mean, he spent 11 years there as the head coach, obviously, and the time before that as a defensive coordinator. But, you know, most of our staff all came from BYU. And so, you know, for them, it'll be cool because their families are, you know, so a lot of their parents still live out in, in Utah there. And, um, you know, so they're going to have a, a big crowd there. You know, the stadium is LaBelle Edwards Stadium, named after Coach LaBelle Edwards, obviously, that was there for years. So our offensive analyst, Matt Edwards, that's his grandfather. Uh, so there's a lot of tradition, a lot of history still between you know, our staff at BYU. And so it's going to be an emotional game, but it's going to be one that I think our guys are really going to, you know, rise to the occasion and understand how much this is going to mean to everyone and really execute at a high level uh, just because of, you know, the emotions that are attached with it. And it is. It's another game. It's another team. It's another opponent. You know, they're going to run the ball. They're going to throw the ball. They're going to tackle. You know, it's the same thing there. Uh, but it is one of those games that I think because of, the past relationships, like I think it is going to mean a lot to, to our team, to our program, and to our guys in, in our in our building. And it's like for me, honestly, like looking at this week too for us and tomorrow, I'm excited just with the connections with a lot of the guys on staff at Illinois and Coach B, obviously, you know, formerly being in Wisconsin, and, and he's a guy that gave me an opportunity to play college football. So there's a lot that 
I owe it to him for, for the reason why I'm sitting in, you know, talking to you right now. Uh, but also, you know, their offensive and defensive line coaches, you know, Mark Miller, Terrence Jamison, those guys were GAs when I was in Wisconsin. Andy Boo, their linebackers coach, was with us for a year at Wisconsin. Aaron Henry was a captain my freshman year. You know, Mark Turisani, their chief of staff, was in operations with us. And so a lot of good memories, a lot of fun with those guys. Uh, so anytime you have crossover like that or there's, there's people on coaching staffs or it's a school or a place that you're returning to, uh, it is always a fun opportunity to just reconnect. And, and again, life is so small and, and you will come full circle sometimes. So it's just really you know, a cool opportunity for us to go to Provo, but then also personally for me this weekend. You like were in my head. You kind of read my mind there. And I was going to ask about that. When you have these connections going in, do you have the opportunity to at least reconnect with them a little bit on game days? Or is it kind of because it is business at this point, you don't have that opportunity to reconnect as much as you would like? I think every guy's a little different, uh, to be honest. Um, like last week, uh, one of my old roommates is the quarterback's coach at William & Mary. Um, and so Matt played here, Matt Johns, he was a quarterback here, um, then came back as a GA while I was here. He and I were the defensive GAs together for a season and lived together. So it was really fun to see him last weekend. But pregame, he was like, you know, we can talk after. And I was like, okay, you know. Uh, and then we all gave him a hard time for that because it was like, Matt, come on now. But at the same point, obviously, like, you want to stay focused. You want to stay ready for the game now. Um, there are different staffs, different people that, you know, pregame is a great time to, to get out there early, go say hi, catch up on life. You know, I know uh, Coach Partridge, who's the D-line coach at Pitt, he was the D-line and specialist coach when I was at Wisconsin those first two years um, as the guy that recruited me really hard, too. And so we always try to catch up in pregame and sometimes after the game, maybe get a picture or whatnot. Just, uh, you know, because it is cool when, when there's a coach that you went to play for, you made that decision to, to follow them or you got to work with them. Um, you get a chance to catch up in person. It is always fun. I mean, they're, like Coach Partridge, his little girls um, are not like in high school. <laughs> and, and they were really young when, when I was playing for him. And, and Coach Bielma, you know, he just got married my last year with him together. Now he has two little girls, and, and Mark T's got two little girls. Aaron Henry's getting married, you know. So it's it's really cool to see the families grow, to see how their lives kind of evolve and change, and, and just fun to touch base with guys. We see it in almost any avenue of life when you have that special passion that not a lot of people share with you. And you already hear about how it's like the 1% of these that you become like a college athlete at your level, maybe not even that high, to go even more finite. To have that same passion, to go on a similar road, I got to imagine that is special for everybody in kind of those situations because you have that shared experience. You know, you talked about the sleepless nights. You're working sometimes 20 hours a day those are some of the only people on earth that truly understand what you've worked for to get to the point you're at. So that's a really cool feeling. I hope you get to reconnect to those guys after that game. Yeah, thanks. No, I'm excited just to say hi. And yeah, there are a lot of those guys that I want to say thank you to just because, again, like they made an impact on me and I'm in the position I'm at today because of you know who they are and what they taught me. And, and like Bart Miller, their offensive line coach, he was at Ohio a couple years ago when we played them, so it was really fun to see him then. Um, and I've seen a lot of these guys too at the coaching convention. There's an annual coaching convention every year, so there it is fun to you know keep tabs on each other and touch base and catch up uh, in January when we're there. But at the same point, like when it's in the middle of the season, it's always good to see a friendly face too. Even though you're competing against each other, it is fun to see uh, you know some guys that you know you care about, and obviously you want to win and you want to win the game and you want to beat them down, and you don't necessarily always want to embarrass them. But you know at the end of the day, uh, you you want to get that win and then you know, wish them good luck the rest of the season. I know Casey and Hayden would hate me if I didn't ask a couple questions about the game this weekend, so I have to do that now. We'll start now with Illinois. 
I imagine there's a good chance you guys got to see their Week 0 matchup against Nebraska because you weren't playing yet. They looked good in that game. Shocked a lot of people beating a, a Nebraska team. I know they're falling off a bit, but they still have that weight in their name. So to see Illinois win, it kind of gives that feeling of a better coached Illinois team than we've seen, partly due to your former coach, Brett Bielma. Is that something that showed up on film for you guys in preparation where you're like, this is not the Illinois team that you guys might have seen on TV the last five years. We're going to be in for at least a little bit of a fight on Saturday. Yeah, I've really tried to voice that here to, to our staff in the offseason and then to, to our players too, just saying, hey, understand, like, Illinois was always a team that was very capable, that had really good athletes. Um, you know, my senior year, we went into the fourth quarter losing against them, and, and Joel Stave got knocked out, and Bart, uh, Bart Houston had to come in and, and lead a comeback, and um, also one of the best post-game interviews of all time. If you've never seen that wall, you need to go look that up. Um, but so, uh, you know, it's a team that always had really capable players. I know D'Angelo Bentley, he's a GA, I want to say, at Penn State right now too. But he was their old punt returner, just a dynamic athlete. Uh, you know, they always had capable D-linemen, linebackers, defensive ends, you know, DBs, receivers. Uh, but it was always, there were just little things that the ball would bounce their way or they'd get a stupid penalty or something would happen. Um, we're knowing, you know, Coach Bielema and kind of what he preaches. And, you know, we were one of the least penalized teams in college football when he was our coach at Wisconsin. And so, you know, he wants to win in the trenches. That was always a point of emphasis. Uh, understanding that the result of the game is a byproduct of your week of preparation, how important preparation is, going 1-0 each day, going 1-0 each week. Um, and so understanding kind of the personnel that they had there from being in the Big Ten uh, and playing against those guys, it's like, hey, this is this could be a dogfight. And you know, the last couple of years we've played a Big Ten team. We've struggled against Indiana. Um, we lost those two games, but uh, obviously hoping for a different outcome this year. And I think where we're at as a program is at a very different point than we were when we played Indiana those first two years um, that I was here. But, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a good game. I'm excited. Uh, you, know, we'll, you know, it's one of those where you don't want to give anything away. You don't want to expect too much. You know, you got to kind of take what's like, thrown at you feel out the game as you go. Obviously, they got some really good special teams play, too. Their, their kicker and punter are really good. So I think it will be one of those games that's going to be a battle of field position. It's going to be a battle of who can execute on third down, uh, who can protect the football. A lot of the similar things that always help lead to winning football. But, uh, you know, I think it'll be a really fun matchup this weekend. Yeah, that Illinois kid was a weapon in Week 0 against Nebraska. You even got to see that early with that safety. When he pins him deep, has him run away. So... I'm sure that you were probably more fired up than most people watching a, a safety from a punt there. But I want to ask a few real quick questions. So you're obviously a special teams analyst, so you're going to be spending most of the time with special teams. But in a situation like this week, Illinois, their starting quarterback, gets banged up in that first game. You don't know if he's going to play. At least on the report, he shows up questionable right now. When you guys are prepping then for either Arter Sikowski or Brandon Peters, what kind of challenges does that raise for a coaching staff that these are two very different style quarterbacks? A lot of times you see the backups just maybe a lesser quality of the same kind of quarterback. These guys play an entirely different game. What's that do to a coaching staff going into a week? Is it clear that they have almost two separate game plans? What's that like? I can't speak to this week, honestly. I haven't spent any time in the defensive staff room. Um, as a GA, obviously, I was in all those those meetings and conversations over there. Um, and so, yeah, there were times in the past where, depending on who the quarterback is, depending on their style, um, I'm trying to think even a couple of years ago, you know, Louisville, obviously Cunningham, the guy right now, he's a very dynamic Lamar Jackson type 
athlete player, you know, where he's, if, if you give up contain, watch out. If you give up rush lanes, watch out. Um, where they had another guy, Juwan pass that was more of a pocket passer. Um, and so, you know, when you look at that, who's playing, who's not playing, kind of what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, there is a little bit of that of trying to figure out, okay, what calls do we like better against this guy versus that guy? Uh, so you obviously, yeah, you can't just throw out the exact same game plan because no two quarterbacks are exactly the same. Now, sometimes there is always a system in play, but as a coach, you have to adapt to who you have, right? You adapt to the strengths of your players, and so every offensive coordinator is going to adapt their plan as well to who they have playing under under center. So, uh, yeah, there is that's that's the gamesmanship, at least my belief always that we always talk about, uh, you know, winning your one-on-one matchups, and like for me. I take it as your one-on-one matchup is you versus your assignment as a player. Like it's not always you versus the guy lined up across from you. You know, so many guys want to win that one-on-one matchup as a DB against a receiver. Well, if you're in zone coverage and that receiver goes away, you're no longer guarding that guy. You know, you're trying to win your matchup with your zone coverage. And if somebody comes into that, okay, are you winning that matchup? Uh, you know, you're not playing man all game long. And so there's different elements of that where as a player, you're battling your matchup or you're not necessarily battling your matchup, but your assignment, if that makes sense. Uh, that's at least how I like to approach the thought of that. And so as a coaching staff, that's more where the game is, is a chess match of who's putting the right call in at the right time, who's trying to get their best guys in the right spots at the right time. Uh, but as a player, you're just going out there to execute your assignment at the highest level possible. And now you obviously are going to be competitive with whoever comes into your assignment at that point. Uh, but it's you versus your assignment, whereas a coaching staff, it's more of a chess match. So our guys, it's just about them executing and playing fast. Uh, playing free, but for the coaching staff, yeah, that is the genius and the beauty behind coaching and, and why some of these guys get paid so much money. Now, I know you're on a time crunch, so I only have a few more questions for you here. Really appreciate you coming on again. Drew's the man. We'll definitely have him back on later this year at some point. Players often try to focus on a skill or some area that they feel deficient in in the offseason. I have to imagine it's similar for coaches too. Was there something for you that you really wanted to improve on whether that be going into this year or even in season that you're really trying to hone in and say, Hey, this might not be where I was most comfortable, but I'm going to get better this year. Definitely. Of course. That's, I mean, growing and learning is the name of the game. And we talk about all the time, especially here in Virginia, you know, Thomas Jefferson always said, once you stop learning, you become irrelevant. And so understanding what lifelong learning is and having that growth mindset is something that's really important to, not only just the university here, but also Coach Mendenhall and our staff. And so, we, yeah, we do a lot of self-study in the offseason, looking at where we were deficient, where we were you know, good, what our strengths were. Um, and so, you know, I don't want to get into too many specifics here for you, but obviously, you know, different units of the ball. And in special teams, you know, whether it's punt, punt return, kickoff, kickoff return, looking at those units saying, okay, where were we good? How can we continue to improve in that aspect and be more dangerous? But then also, where weren't we good? Why weren't we good? How do we address that need? And who else around the country was really good that has similar personnel to us that, you know, might not, you know, if we don't have a dynamic guy in this position, who else might not but still has success? You know, trying to match up what your team looks like compared to other teams that are outperforming potentially what they're showing. And so really seeing what type of types of system, what types of schemes um, are working no matter what talent you have, who's doing a really good job at that, and how can we adapt, learn from them, and implement some of it. You know, you always talk about stealing ideas. You know, people think, oh, that guy's a copycat. Well, yeah, that's smart. If there's a great idea that's out there and you're not using it, you are falling behind. Um, and that is our thought process. And so if there's good good stuff out there, let's learn from it. And, and that's each week we're sifting through film of, of you know, people around the country. Uh, we use Pro Football Focus too, uh, which is obviously a huge database. And 
you know, they, everyone sees them on Twitter giving out grades for players and this and that, but it's a huge database full of information. And so we look through and watch other games around the country looking for different ideas and things that are working really well as part of our cell scouts uh, to see what we can add to our arsenal. That's a really good answer. And this is going to lead me, I guess, more into a specific question about the guys you talk to. Now, I kind of painted a bad picture for the people at home last time during the interview where when we played at high school, you were a safety and a punter. And I remember, because I was the demo, I didn't have to worry about getting into games most of the time. So I live stress-free on Fridays. I'm walking into the locker room, just living my best life, probably snacking. You guys are all in the zone. You would be the guy standing on a bench and doing this like pointed toe, punting, whatever, I don't know what to call it. Now, last time I brought that up and you said that you still make your punters do that today. Can you explain to me what that was and what we're actually trying to accomplish with that? Yeah, so it's just a simple technical drill. It's a muscle memory drill. And so um, it incorporates a little bit of balance, but also just isolating movements. Um, and so it's easy to go out in the field, and kick a bunch of balls, and wear your leg out and not really know what went wrong when you hit a bad punt. But so being able to isolate and break down the movement Okay, now let's break down. Let's pause with our leg back. Let's pause our leg in contact. What do we want to look like? You know, the follow through things like that that helps reinforce to our muscles where we want them to be and, and what we want it to feel like as you go. And so, it, it, yeah, it definitely it looked a little weird. <laughs> I, I know when our guys do it, people still kind of shake their head and like, "What are these guys doing up in the stands on the benches?" You know, when we practice in the stadium, there's not a lot of free space otherwise, so they have to go up in the stands. Uh, but our guys understand the value and they understand you know, how it helps. And like for the kickers, like a lot of the, the Q2 is looking at their belly button. Is their belly button in front of the football or is it behind? Because it's in front of the football. Now they're using more quad as they kick, but they also aren't getting that full extension on the range of motion of the foot to open up that surface because it's, it's going to be a little bit more rolled over. So they're going to hit more like a soccer ball where if you get that belly button behind, that helps lower the foot, lower the heel, which helps get a cleaner, smoother kick, um, better rotation on the football too. So there, there's a lot of, of technical aspects to that. Um, but again, like we're always, we got to be masters of our craft. We always got to be sharpening our blade. Um, you know, it's one thing to, to line up as an offensive or D line and put your hands on a guy, you know, and, and go harder or get ticked off and, and try harder as a, as a punter or a kicker. You can't really try harder. You know, you have to be more efficient and you have to be smarter about what you're doing wrong and better identify uh, what you do well too and hold on to what you do well and then also learn from what you need to improve on to get closer to, to perfection. And that's something though I always admired about you because I was the guy, like I said, that was comfortable knowing that I wasn't going to get in. I was all right. And you were busting your ass there on a Thursday after everyone's done playing around on the bench doing your drill that I didn't know what was going on. I just think this guy looks a lot cooler than me. I'm going to just figure out he knows what he's doing. But it's clearly working with your boys too. I know Jacob Finn, I was talking earlier about him. Six foot four, that's not fair, first of all. We're not allowed to have punters get that athletic where people like me can't even tell from the couch that we could be a punter. So you're killing me with that. But what, he had a 45 net punt average here in the first week. I have to ask, Wisconsin, they're typically going to be punting the ball a little bit more. They're playing more of that slow ground and pound game. Is it easier as a punter to go out and kick efficiently, kick effectively when you're doing it a lot? Or is it sometimes better when, like last week, you guys are scoring a lot, you don't have to go out as often, you only have to go out in twice, which is more difficult as a punter? Honestly, it's really hard when you only have like two or three punts in a game just because, you know, you start your pregame routine, typically like, so for our guys at Virginia here, we they take the field at 70 minutes, 
um, and we start kicking field goals at 65. But that's 65 minutes before kickoff, right? And so then the game lasts three, three and a half hours. So you're essentially having to stay warm for four and a half hours and stay ready and stay loose. Um, so when you think about that, like everyone goes, oh, like it's not that hard. It's really hard. <laughs> and, and when you're doing the same motion over and over and over again, that's why people correlate pitchers with specialists a lot, like keeping a pitch count, making sure you're not overhitting throughout the week, you know, putting a huge emphasis on staying fresh and being efficient with your kicks. Because uh, you don't want to go out to bang balls just to bang balls. You want to go out there to learn, to figure out what's going on. So like for our guys, typically, you know, when I was a GA and I could work with them more hands-on or, you know, if we're planning, you know, giving those guys, you know, the plan through Coach Brom, it's, hey, maybe today it's 20 punts. You know, as we get closer to game day, maybe it's eight punts, you know, where it's, okay, you can go out and you got eight punts to focus on what you're trying to work on, whether you're going directional right, directional left, pooch punt, but being efficient with those eight reps and not saying, ah, oh, I miss hit one, let me get another one. Well, no, because those reps start to add up after a while. Um, but so on game day when you're going, I mean, it can be two, two and a half hours between punts sometimes. Um, so halftime is a key point for guys when they're playing. I know for me in Wisconsin, we used to love halftime and it's just after the band would finish and we'd get out there and we'd weave through the band and throw some balls and get some catches, but then also get some good hits in and, and try to rewarm up and get loose. And, uh, but so for those guys, pregame, halftime, and again, those, are, those aren't times for evaluation. Those are warm-ups for a reason. They're just to get loose and get warmed up. What matters is the in-the-game punts. Uh, and so if you only have two, if they're early in the game, great. You know, but if you have one with two minutes left in the fourth quarter, if you're winning a big-time game and the backups come in and you've been sitting around for three hours, that's a really hard position to be in. Um, and so there's obviously an aspect of focus uh, that you have to have to be able to dial back in, to be able to refocus after hanging out for three hours on the sideline with the guys to then have to go out and execute. But, uh, yeah, when you have more, there comes a point where there is a fatigue and there's a frustration with, like, okay, we got to score some points, guys, you know. I can't keep coming out here and running. Um, but at the same point, like, you got to execute. And no matter what the score is, no matter how the team is doing, like, you still have to stay even keel and be able to execute regardless of, of the – um, outside circumstances. Um, but yeah, I feel like there's a threshold where kind of like six punts is like a good number, sadly enough, um, where like if you start getting that eight to 10 range, like it's going to be a low scoring game. It's going to be a field position battle. Now, obviously that's a huge opportunity as well to make an impact on the game as a specialist. But um, yeah, also the two, three punts in a game, that is kind of hard because it's, it is so long in between your opportunities typically. So Normally when it's like five to seven, somewhere in there, like you're in a pretty good rhythm, pretty good flow. The offense is moving the ball, but you also might not be scoring, you know, every drive. Um, but at the same point, that does kind of help with your ability to perform at a high level. Now it shouldn't. Every punt is separate. Every punt is individual. You know, if it's its own rep, you got to refocus each time. But there is a reality too, like being in that focus, being in that zone, being in the flow of the game, um, where that is kind of the ideal number, I'd say. And we'll definitely ask more about that next time you come on too because special teams is something when you watch this game on Saturdays, you never really see the work that goes into it from a kicker, from a punter perspective. The only thing we really get to ever look at is when the kickers are kicking it into the net. And that's the only time you see that is the end of the game when the pressure's at an insane level. But I think what you just did too is you just gave us your platform to get you into the Wisconsin Hall of Fame. You had the most punts in team history. Naturally, your average wasn't going to be the top. Your leg was tired. We can't hold you responsible at some point. But I will ask you one more question before we let you go, and it is on the Big Ten again. Your Badgers lost a really tough game this last week. People like me, I was really high on Graham Mertz going into the season. Are you telling me 
to basically hit the, the panic button or take a deep breath. He's going to figure this out. COVID year, there's fans now. Everything's different. I want to hear your thought. What about the Wisconsin Badgers? Obviously, it's not my, my place to really say, not being on staff there. But all I would say is, as Aaron Rodgers once told us years ago, R-E-L-A-X. You know, it, one game doesn't define a season. One game doesn't define a career. Obviously, he's a very talented young man. Uh, you know, it's just, it's tough when you guys, you know, uh, any team, us, Wisconsin, it's tough when you lose a home game in a top 20 matchup, obviously. Everyone wants to win that game, especially if a guy doesn't play well. You know, it's, it's disappointing, but it's not everything is not the end of the world, right? The sun's going to come up tomorrow. Uh, you know, side little plug too, today's World Suicide Prevention Day, right? You know, poor performances. When a guy doesn't play well, nobody needs to be on social media criticizing the guy or, or getting on him because obviously he wanted to win. He wanted to play well. <laughs> you know, I love when people get out there and start chirping it, guys. I remember my junior year, we were playing LSU. I literally cramped up and had to go get an IV and couldn't pull through on my kick leg. Like, we don't really know what happened, whether it was – um, I might have gotten a Charlie horse at one point or maybe didn't eat enough carbs or something like that before the game. And, uh, but I had to get an IV and you get on Twitter afterwards and all these people were ripping me. And then there's, it comes an aspect where like, I never really cared or thought much about what people said on social media, but there are some guys, especially in today's society that might, and it's a very dangerous line to walk and because mental health is so important. And so whether it's a fan base, whether, you know, if you're a fan, support your guys, help lift them up, help pick them up. Uh, now, Graham, obviously, he's got tons of talent. He's going to be a tremendous player for that school, that university. He's going to go on and do some great things. And you saw some of that potential last season. I mean, week one, everyone was calling for him to win the Heisman. So, obviously, he's a, he's a guy that's got a lot of ability. Uh, he's got a lot of football ahead of him. Uh, I know, you know, that staff, they'll, they'll get everything corrected. They'll get things figured out. And um, Obviously, it's disappointing when you lose the first game, especially in a big-time home matchup. But um, there's also a lot of learning that can come from that. So, you know, they can still go on. Their goals are all in front of them. The only goal that potentially could be off the board would be an undefeated season. You know, other than that, the goals are in front of them to win the Big Ten, potentially win the Rose Bowl, get to a BCS game. So, you know, those guys, they'll be fine. They'll, they'll get it figured out. And, um, yeah, we'll see what happens as the season goes on. Perfectly said again, Drew. We appreciate you coming on. Hopefully, if I'm still in the area, when you come up to Pittsburgh in front of that raucous 10, 15,000 fans at Heinz Field, I'll be one of them. If I can make it work, we'll make that happen, and hopefully I'll get to see you a little bit. But, Drew, thanks again. We'll make sure we get you back on. Is there anything you have for us, anything you want to plug, anything at all? Not necessarily. Just thanks for having me on again. And if, yeah, if when we come up to the pit, yeah, I'll make sure to get you there. We'll, we'll make that happen for sure. So excited to see you when we get up there. As long as you're in town, let's put it that way. Exactly. So go Badgers for you. And then what is it? Is it Wahoo, I think you guys say, for Virginia? Yeah, so we're the, we're the Cavaliers, but we say go Hoos, you know. So, so Wahoo is uh, an old urban legend around here. It's a type of fish, but I'll let you do that research on your end, Wally, uh, to find the full story. But so, so we say go who's around here, yeah. Well, go who's Saturday. I know the other Illinois people listening. Good luck to your Illini too, but we'll have Drew back on in the very near future. Thanks again, Drew. You're the man.
Thanks again to Drew Meyer for doing that interview with us today. You can try, but you won't find a better guy out there. We'll be rooting and looking forward to watching more of his Virginia Cavaliers the rest of the year and hopefully getting him back on in the offseason. But now let's get back to our Week 2 recap. The Youngstown State Penguins traveled to East Lansing to face the Spartans. Michigan State won this game 42-14. This is going to be one of those FCS recaps where there's not a lot, I feel like, that you learn about this team. Michigan State did amass almost 600 yards in this game. Patrick Thorne, he was able to throw the ball a little bit better, a little bit more effectively than he did against Northwestern. 15 of 21, 280 yards and four touchdowns. But I thought it was interesting because if you look at the box score, it's very evident in this game that they wanted to try to win without having to depend solely on Kenneth Walker. And I thought that was, I, I think this is what you want to do against teams like Youngstown State. Go in with the plan to get better in a certain area. And it's partly with we, what we talked about the Michigan, Western Michigan game last week, where we were talking about you want to improve in games like this. This is what we're talking about. But yeah, I, I'm going to let you guys talk here, but it has to be at least encouraging for Michigan State now that I know it's Youngstown State, but at least as far as an FCS team's going to go, it's a, it's a good Youngstown State team. They show that they can throw the ball a little bit, not just do it on the ground. What do you guys make of this Spartans team? Do you think they are going to at least be players in the Big Ten East? Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say, Wally. That's one of those games where you really want to try to get as well-rounded as you possibly can, and I think they they did that. You know, Thorne Thorn had a very efficient, very good game, and they still also, you know, ran the ball for, was it over 300 yards, I think? Uh, 272. So, I mean, not much to take away from this game other than Michigan State did exactly what, what you should do when you play against a, a team like that. Yeah, Wally and I pegged this game as one of the – snoozer games that we weren't going to pay any attention to unless it got close at any point. And Michigan State just took care of business. I mean, they were up 35-7 to at halftime. I'd imagine probably took the foot off the gas a little bit. And nothing really happened there in the second half. So, yeah, exactly what they needed to do. Just just a good way to come out against a team that's way overmatched. Exactly. you got to take care of business in games like this, and Michigan State did that. Mel Tucker at least looks like he's got that team going in a very positive direction. If they can get past Miami this coming week, they they've got a pretty good shot at starting, you know, five and zero, and probably being ranked going into that Rutgers game. So they got a big, big couple weeks ahead of them here. Yeah, they do, and it's another team that we're talking about possibly going into October undefeated. That it's very encouraging, at least for the mid teams in the Big Ten, to be taking care of business the way they have so far this year. But a team that is kind of trending in the wrong direction right now, we kind of talked about it briefly at the start of the show, Miami of Ohio goes to Minneapolis. Minnesota was up 21-3 to at half, but they only win this game 31-26. to The game was very much in doubt in the fourth quarter. Trayson Potts did all right stepping in. I'm not trying to say he didn't do well. He had 34 rushes, 178 yards, two touchdowns. But there's an element to this offense that feels lost right now after Ibrahim's injury, after his absence. And Tanner Morgan, I mean, they completely took him away in this game. I know he throws for two touchdowns, but a buck 12 through the air. Minnesota might be in more trouble than we thought. Yeah, and 
looking just looking at the stats here, Tanner Morgan was under fifty percent completion, you know, in this game, and I and I can't imagine that, you know, th- this guy is super experienced, so to be, I guess, that inconsistent in his senior year against a team that they should be able to do pretty much whatever they want against offensively, not really encouraging for Minnesota, especially after they, they played decent last week. I mean, they played hard and they were able to move the ball against Ohio State's defense, which is a whole nother story at this point. We we're going to get into that a little bit, I think, but it, it seems like they took a little bit of a step back after a good performance the week before. Yeah, I completely agree. And when we were talking in our preview show, and just, I mean, really throughout all of our episodes, Minnesota was kind of one of those teams where we needed Tanner Morgan to take the next step and kind of get back to the 2019 form. Even last week, I mean, he didn't look very good. They weren't really able to stretch the ball down the field. And then, you know, against a team like Miami of Ohio, thrown for under 50%, their offense looks very, very limited right now, which is extremely concerning. Yeah, and I really thought that bringing back Chris Hotman bell was going to do wonders for this offense, especially in a game like that. We'll definitely be monitoring that quarterback position and how Tanner Morgan continues to do, especially in non-conference here. But our next game, the Northwestern Wildcats host Indiana State. I don't even know their nickname, to be honest with you. I feel like that's like one of those where it's just like the farmers. I, I don't know. The Indiana State farmers, that sounds right. But Northwestern. The Sycamores. They are the Sycamores. I... All right, good for you. I'm glad that you got that. Wow. All right, that threw me off. Good for you, Hayden. Northwestern wins this game 24-6. to Starting to be a little worried about Northwestern, guys. Hunter Johnson, what, 66 yards through the air. Touchdown and a pick against the mighty Sycamores. Pat Fitzgerald usually is able to at least get the most out of his team. But at what point do we wonder, is this best for this team, probably a six and six kind of campaign. Just kind of feels like this is a typical Northwestern team, you know, really stout on defense, although they didn't really show it last week, and just very mediocre offense. It is encouraging, I I guess, against Indiana State. They only gave up 169 total yards, which is, you know, very impressive, but their offense only gained 275 against an Indiana State team, too. So, a lot of concerns with Northwestern at this point. I feel like they're going to be that team that every single game is close because their offense is so limited, but their defense will keep them in it. So, it'll be interesting this next couple couple game stretch here for Northwestern. I'm looking at Northwestern's quarterback. His name's Hunter Johnson. His His QBR for this season. It's a whopping 28.9. He's only thrown for 200. (laughs) Yeah, is that that good? He only had 66 yards through the air against Indiana State. It feels feels like it's something, you know, similar to Minnesota where, yeah, you know, Minnesota or uh, Northwestern put up good numbers on the ground. But through the air is is very lacking. And it it doesn't – you can't win games – in a major college football conference without being, you know, somewhat adequate through the air. I know it's not through the air, but just to mention, Evan Hall's looked pretty good here in the first two weeks, albeit they were down three scores in Michigan State. They were probably playing a little soft. And you'd imagine the, the Sycamore defense isn't anything crazy as well, but he had 22 rushes, a buck 26. 
two more touchdowns. If they're going to get it going this year through the air, they're going to have to keep having games like that from Evan Hall because they have to at least do something for that passing game like you mentioned, Hayden. Unfortunately, we have to get into this game now. The Oregon Ducks come to the horseshoe. They give the Buckeyes their first home loss since Baker Mayfield planted the flag four years ago. I don't know what to say other than this was a catastrophic failure on defense. As I was reflecting on this game hours after, it, my mind was blown. If you had told me Ohio State would have 612 total yards, I would say, oh, they're easily 49, 56, 52 points. But credit to Oregon's defense. I mean, they were bend but don't break pretty much all, all game long. They got a couple of key stops in the red zone. Man, I just – Oregon played about as perfect offensively at, as you could have asked for. They really controlled the ball. I felt like they did whatever they wanted to do. I, I don't know what your guys' thoughts are on that. One of the things that seems most alarming to me watching that game and I'm thinking about it the day after – it doesn't seem that Ohio State has any – they're not getting any push on the defensive line at all. I mean, Oregon's offensive line, and credit to them, credit to them because I, I didn't think it was going to happen. They controlled that game the whole time when they were on offense. They absolutely controlled it. And that just really shocks me because I think going into the season, we were like, okay, Ohio State's defense is going to rely on their front four – because they have some guys back and they're experienced and they were hoping some guys take the next step through two games. They haven't. And it's, it, that's been a major disappointment. There was virtually no pressure on Anthony Brown for most of the game at all. When you can't get pressure and you can't CJ Verdell had crazy. I don't know what his, as what he actually averaged for carry. It had to be pretty high. When you can't stop the run and you can't get pressure, you're putting your defensive backs in a position where they can't win. They're playing some young guys back there, and in order for them to succeed, you have to get pressure on the quarterback, especially one like Anthony Brown where we, we know. We know what he is. He's not – he's a career 50% passer. To not get any pressure, to not try and rattle him, to not get him thrown off a little bit, that, that was very frustrating the entire game. And that's the concerning part about it is that he finished under 50% again this game. I, I didn't think Anthony Brown did anything like spectacular or crazy yesterday. It, you, you are, you're completely right. The, 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 and that's the, that's the absolute scary part is Anthony Brown did nothing special. He was under 50%. If this team plays, and I don't know if there's really a quarterback in the Big Ten that can do it which I guess is good for Ohio State, but if this team plays a, a team in the playoffs that has a quarterback, it's going to be a nightmare because that, that quarterback will absolutely pick them apart. I don't even want to think about playoffs because there are so many issues right now that need addressed, like need addressed right now. It's getting to the point where this is Kerry Combs' second year, and we we really have to start questioning what he is doing and why he why he or 
maybe not him, but the entire coaching staff is not adjusting to things that are happening. It seems like they're pretty vanilla on defense. Um, they're not getting any – they're not really blitzing. They're not bringing anybody. They're not getting pressure with four. It's all around it. It's, it's very, very bad. One, I guess one positive maybe is I, I think Ohio State's young defensive backs have played okay, and I think that is a good sign for the future. I think they're going to be good here next year or the year after, but they're, but they're young. And, you know, Josh Proctor going down, it doesn't sound like he's going to be back. You know, another major concern, something that I don't know – I, I don't know how much this defense is going to improve if this, the strength of the whole defense, which it was supposed to be the defensive line, isn't isn't getting the job done. I have a couple things I want to say. So, first of all, you pointed out the lack of adjustments. It was a refusal to adjust yesterday. You see the same sweep beat you three straight times throughout the game, and you just completely failed to hold the edge and there was a refusal to adjust not even try and then to feel comfortable afterwards to say that we're gonna get there we're gonna keep improving I'm not that worried about what we're doing right now it's kind of alarming to me that we're I feel like it's it's like us not wanting to look in the mirror so to speak on that defensive side of the ball now, people I feel like on Twitter and everywhere else kept trying to make the, is this team 2018 Ohio State or is this 2014 Ohio State? And I don't think it's really fair for either right now because we're talking about when we bring up the poor defense being brought back to 18, we're talking about if it not been for Chase Young in that 2019 year, an Ohio State defense that has been consistently bad now going back since before 2018. Yeah, I hope you don't mind me interrupting. I, I please hope I'm do, not interrupting. please do, man. But I, I kept having having this thought go through my head, and it's, it's a horrible thought to think about. It seems like Ohio State is turning into what Oklahoma is or has been, where they have a prolific offense, but the defense is so horribly bad that they have to score 45, 42, 49 points to beat a good, you know, a good solid team. And that's something that I never really imagined that I would see at Ohio State just because of the tradition of Ohio State's defense has always been pretty good. But these last 4 years minus obviously the the 2019 year has it, it's been remarkable and and I don't think it's not that they don't have good players. It's something is wrong. There's a disconnect between the scheme or the execution. One of them is not getting done. Maybe it's both, or maybe it's heavy one side. I don't know what it is, but but there's a major problem. And not to completely change gears here, but you finally get a couple stops at the end of that game, and your offense, who had been moving the ball at will throughout, we're talking over 600 yards, falls short. I guess you can consider that last drive too, which was what two plays. So, but two real drives at the end of that game, and you're not able to get it done. And that Garrett Wilson ball, I think, is going to haunt us for a while this year, because it felt like had you tied that game, we're we're having a very different discussion today, 
and we might be talking about how the defense was gritty enough to let them get back in the game, but it doesn't feel that was even possible with this defense right now. You talk about the tradition of Ohio State defenses, Hayden, and I think the part that bothers me most is that we're getting beat on the ground. It's not even that this is all just we're getting diced up like sometimes we would in the early thousands or what, I guess mid thousands after we did win that championship at the end of that kind of era. Imagine an Ohio State team getting diced up through the middle of the defense is really, really concerning. And it's I just keep looking back at the linebackers and how we got no pass rush. And I know I'm rambling on. It's just I really don't know where to start with this defense. There's just an en- endless laundry list of things that need cleaned up for this team. And, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty down on them today. But this team still has a lot to play for. They absolutely, and I said I'm not talking about playoffs, so I'm not going to, but they their schedule is very favorable where they can get back on track, you know, and win, you know, still win a lot of games and still win the conference. And that should be the goal this year. The goal should still be to win the conference. Obviously, they didn't lose a conference game, so that that doesn't impact the conference, you know, race at all. But forget playoffs. Let's let's worry about winning the conference right now because that that defense performance was horrible. Really, a, another thing that stood out to me was Ohio State seemed like they always shot themselves in the foot um, with with penalties, getting into those second and longs, third and longs. Just were really drive killers. And I'm, I, if I remember correctly, they did that a couple times in the red zone, and then they got into the fourth and twos, got stuff. So that that's another area they just got to clean stuff up, in my opinion. And then another thing I kind of want to touch on is C.J. Stroud. It was very similar the Minnesota game and the Oregon game. We've seen flashes of him being really good, but he's still missing high on you know deep balls to Garrett Wilson, that little dump off to Chris Olave that got picked off on third and eighteen. Like if you see that replay, Olave was open. If, if he had just dumped it off, they get 15 yards and it's fourth and three and manageable. His inconsistency right now is a little bit concerning, but also he's, he's very young, still very young, still I think has high potential and could very well lead this team to winning the Big Ten. That's another thing that I kind of wanted to touch on because I feel like people will look at the box score and see, oh, he threw for 484 yards. Yeah, but I think – if you dissect every single throw outside of the first half, I guess the first half he had like three or four drops, but still missing high on some balls, overthrowing some deep balls is is kind of concerning. Obviously, there's going to be a transition after replacing a guy like Justin Fields, and, and C.J. Stroud is still very, very young. You know, he, it's only his second game against, I guess I'm going to say, a really good opponent in Oregon. So I, I'm not ready to push the panic button, and I don't think you're saying that at all, but I did see some Ohio State fans who were ready to push the panic button on C.J. Stroud, and, and I'm not to that point yet because, you know, he is young. He he you know he did miss some throws, but also his some of his receivers didn't help him out. There were, you know, four to five drops probably throughout the game, mostly in the first half that, that kind of hurt them as well. Yeah, I feel like when Ryan Day walked off that field, he felt – very good about where C.J. Stroud is right now. You've played two games. They're both at least circumstantially difficult games. I think he's at least, you've seen a little bit of growth in those games where he might start slow. He might start, he is missing high, and it's 
that is going to be a problem, especially as this year goes on. There was one ball, I want to say, that got tipped when we were trying to come back in the fourth quarter that somehow fell 15 yards downfield in between like three or four guys. That those are going to be picked off more often than not. But C.J. Stroud's not the issue right now. And this is where I feel like a lot of people almost get annoyed with Buckeye fans. Because the reaction on social media, the reaction from Ohio State fans to that loss yesterday was really kind of annoying to watch. Not kind of. It was annoying. Yeah, I'm not sitting here calling for C.J. Stroud's job or anything. I just was saying that he's got some improving to do. But if we want to... If we want to pick apart this offense, it's got to go to coaching because, my goodness, the, the same thing happened in the Minnesota game as it did this game. The first half, they were very, very basic, very vanilla, didn't stretch the ball down the field. And then second half, they completely switched, and that's when Stroud really threw for most of his yards. So, I mean, I think this coaching staff has to open up the offense more in the first half because I'm not going to say it cost them this game, but – there was a noticeable difference between the play calling in the first half and the second half in both the first two games. What, he started 7 of 12 for something like 40-something yards in that game? Because it felt very West Coasty, where everything was within five yards of the line of scrimmage, and then all of a sudden, you have all the safeties creeping up, and you weren't able to run the ball at that point. Every time that you start getting to the plus side of the field, it starts getting a little bit more difficult, and... Yeah, let's hope that they do open it up earlier. And I guess these are a few opponents here that you feel comfortable to get. The get right games are coming up. Do, do, the last thing real quick. Do you think the play calling and the, the Wally used the West Coast-ish, West Coast-ish term, do you think that's trying to get your young quarterback comfortable in a big-time game to start to, to really start the year? I mean, I know they did it against Minnesota a little bit, and then they did it in the first half against Oregon. Do you think that's trying to get C.J. Stroud ready, comfortable to before they open up the offense, I guess? See, my thing is, I, I understand that. Don't get me wrong. You get, a, you get a young quarterback some easy throws, but that's usually a drive or two. It was legit the first half of both games getting it. If they're getting him comfortable, I just think it really limited the offense in the first half, and it showed. I mean, that was the first time. Ohio State's was that the first time Ohio State's been shut out in the first quarter under Ryan Day? No, there was there were two others. They were against Wisconsin, weren't they? I think they were both twenty nineteen yeah. oh, yep. Wisconsin. Yep. You're right. You're right. You are right. I did see that. But yeah, for in Ohio State, I don't know how many yards they had at halftime, but to only have seven points was mind boggling as well. And this was all without or with Oregon not having their best. Okay, two of their top three defenders too. If Kayvon Thibodeau plays that game, I think that this game might not be that close just because I felt like C.J. Stroud was getting a little too comfortable back there holding on to the ball for five or six seconds, and you got to think the probable number one pick in next year's NFL draft gets gets home a couple times. I don't really disagree all that much. And unless, Hayden, do you have any last words you want to say on this game? No. Oh, I'm sick to my stomach about it. I'm ready to move on. Perfect. I'm with you there, buddy. So we'll get going now to a game I feel like a lot of people probably miss because it had that weird 2 o'clock kickoff. And you have the Ohio State-Oregon game ending. People are watching that. And after that point, I feel like you flip it over and you end up starting one of the 3.30 or 4.30 games. So, But anyways, Rutgers goes to Syracuse. 
beats him 17 to 7. But this was about as big 10 E as a game gets. It was 0 0 midway through the third quarter. They only gave up 258 yards, but somehow only had 195 themselves in a win. Rutgers, 2 0, but not a pretty 2 0. What are you guys thinking right now when you're looking at this team? Are we taking the positives out of this, or are you looking at the concerns first? This is the first time that I had this game on. What did I have this game on? I think the laptop or something, and just kind of keeping tabs on it because I think Hayden had Syracuse money line, if if I believe. So obviously, I was rooting for Rutgers because I had them. I, I think minus you are and incorrect, half, sir. You had you took Rutgers. Oh yeah, I took Rutgers. Oh okay. What I don't I don't know what he game had Iowa State, and that was one that he lost on. And I think there was one other and, and Michigan. Yeah, and Michigan and, and Buffalo. Yeah, Ooh. that's right. My my upsets did not uh, come through <laughs> for me this weekend. Bad bets, bad bets. <laughs> but as far as Rutgers, I mean, if you could have 195 total yards and win a game by 10 points, that is, I mean, that's impressive. I guess. I just feel like this team under Greg Schiano just is going to be that team that grits and grinds and finds way to win football games. But, I, I mean, they, they definitely have some improvement to do. They have, you know, an easy game next week against Delaware, and then they really get into the meat of their schedule, Michigan-Ohio State. And, I mean, Michigan State looks like they could be, I guess, kind of legit in the Big Ten East. But, yeah, so um, definitely going to need more than 195 total yards if they're going to even compete against those kind of teams. What stuck out to me is that I finally flipped it over right after the Buckeyes game ended yesterday. And the first thing I see is that Rutgers has the ball, like, let's call it third and eight on the Syracuse 25-yard line. They have like a four or five-yard play. But they call it unsportsmanlike on one of the players on Syracuse the same play that there was a OPI or something like that on offense, so they were going to have to redo third and eight. And then the head coach for Syracuse, Dino Babbers, he got an unsportsmanlike for yelling at the ref. And that's what led to Rutgers' first touchdown drive. And it really just felt like that was the moment you can turn to in the game and say, had that not happened, you force Rutgers into a decision. Do you kick a 42-yard field goal in a 0-0 game at this point or what happened? So they're going to have to keep improving, like you said, Casey. And they're going to have the chance to do it with these, what, next foot brutal stretch here as you were saying but what do you guys say now probably is fcs like as an opponent could be while not being one purdue goes to connecticut they beat him 49 to nothing didn't even feel like necessarily it was that close they could have scored more had they wanted to i mean this is not really anything you can really take too much out of am i wrong absolutely not <laughs> I don't know why I had – I think I had Connecticut covering and took the under. So the under hit, but I don't know what I was thinking having any sort of faith in UConn. This is – I can't believe this is a FBS team right now. Fade UConn until they prove you wrong. <laughs> I mean, they're absolutely horrible. We thought maybe that since, you know, um, Randy Edsel got more or less fired that they might have a little extra uh, – motivation for this game and that was my one concern going in like maybe you know an interim head coach kind of gives you a little push 
But yeah, they're terrible. I don't know why. You know, I, I, I know why I picked the over in this game is because I thought maybe UConn could. I, I, I think I said on the, on the show, they needed 10 points. They had zero. So yeah, the under hits. UConn plays Clemson later on in the year. I cannot imagine what that line is. What? 60 and a half. Oh my goodness. That's going to be brutal. Yeah, because I mean, they're a team out here that's getting beat and they're supposed to be beat by these FCS schools. When they're only a two and a half point favorite to Holy Cross, man, that's going to be bad because you know Clemson's still going to treat that like it's an FBS team when they go in there, at least the way that game starts. That'll be one to keep an eye on the line just for fun. But we'll go now to Ball State, travel to Happy Valley. Penn State won 44 to 13. The under hit by a half a point in this Brutal. game, too. Dude, Brutal. Vegas, Vegas is ridiculous. What they can see and what they seemingly nail on. I mean, I don't know if anybody saw that Wisconsin ending to the cover last night. They like rolled a snap back, and it was at 26, and the spread was 26 and a half. And it was almost blocked, and then he barely snuck it in the upright. It was the hardest cover ever. But anyways, Penn State, they went 44-13. to Clifford really didn't wow us again. He went 21-29, 230, and a touchdown. Going into that Auburn game next week, and that's college game day too, back-to-back, uh, what, Big Ten venues getting it. What do you guys make of this Penn State offense? Clifford, I mean, he did everything right I guess I would say like he was not that impressive in terms of his yards or his touchdowns or anything but one thing they he did do was take care of the ball which is always very important at the quarterback position and he also did run for 66 yards and a touchdown as well didn't really feel like he took a big step forward like Penn State needs him to in order to really compete in the Big Ten East but I mean not too much that you can really take away from beating up on a on a max school yeah, I agree with Casey. The one thing I do want to note that I think is a little concerning, I guess. Noah Kane had 20 carries for only 69 yards. Obviously, they he that needs to be much improved once they get into big time play. I mean, that's only like three three yards a carry. So he needs they collectively as an offense need to bump that up. But yeah, I don't not really much to take away from this one. Then we will be moving on and hand up. We were wrong. Credit to Nebraska. They went out and took care of business on Saturday, 128-3. Adrian Martinez didn't do anything amazing by any means, but he really wasn't asked to do that either. Were we too quick to write off Nebraska, or is this simply simply a brief recess before a really, really bad Saturday coming up? They're going to get absolutely shellacked this Saturday. Uh, you know, I, Scott Frost is kind of coaching for his job, so I guess I don't know. Beating Buffalo twenty-eight to three, I don't know. Good for them. Obviously, I had Buffalo money line. I was not confident in Nebraska at all, but I mean, credit to them. They they pro- they proved me wrong, and I think I actually had two. I bet two units on Buffalo plus fourteen and a half. So that that was a tough break for me. That game did not go the way I thought it would. Yeah, Hayden, you really had a. Brutal couple weeks here after the first three and zero start that you had. Not, I mean, not too much to take away from this game either. Not, I think maybe we're all a little too high on Buffalo, as well as too low, I guess, on Nebraska after their loss against Illinois. But 
We're going to find out, I mean, this Saturday, really what they're made of. I think if they can keep it within two or three touchdowns, then we might look at Nebraska. No shot. As, no shot. Yeah, I, I, maybe not. Maybe not. But if they can, maybe we start looking at Nebraska a little differently. If that happens, you're right. We would. But I'm kind of with Hayden. I don't think there's any chance. I think that Oklahoma's going to treat it still like a rivalry game. So they're going to come in with that intensity. And that's all that they could have hoped for is that Oklahoma sleepwalks. And I don't think it happens. I might take Nebraska that game just to have a reason to root for them. I, I said that preseason when, you know, because I was saying I was a Nebraska fan because they were fighting for the season. I said, I'm going to take Nebraska plus 20 and a half against Oklahoma or whatever. And you guys all said I was crazy for doing it. I'm not doing it after I've watched them play, though. I'm going to do it. Go Big Red. But now let's go to the college game day game. Casey's Iowa Hawkeyes win 27 to 17 on the road against number nine, Iowa State. This was weird because Iowa had only 179 yards of offense in this game. I don't have the actual Iowa State ones in front of me, but I want to say they were in the 300s. 339. 339. There you go. That's perfect. Thank you, Casey. That'll be an issue at some point this season, but what you cannot deny is that Iowa's defense is for real. Win the turnover battle 4 to nothing, And again, that was realistically, it was a 17-point game with three minutes left before Iowa State scores a late touchdown. Iowa, how impressed are you with them? Yeah, I thought Iowa's defense was very impressive all game long. I know Iowa State did get over the 300-yard marker, but I felt like most of that came in the fourth quarter when the game was relatively out of hand. So I might just say, I think Iowa might have the best defense in the Big Ten. But then we go to the offensive side, and Spencer Petras just looked not good at all. Did not look very good. And Iowa couldn't run the ball worth a lick either. They averaged 1.7 yards per carry. But, I mean, credit to the defense. They forced four turnovers. It just kind of seems like they're that team this year, in my opinion, that can really make some noise in the Big Ten. I agree with Casey. I'm I'm really, really impressed with Iowa's defense, you know, especially forcing the turnovers, getting after the quarterback. They look like they're flying around out there, which is great. Like we've said multiple times, I think we said it last week and we, we've talked about it or are going to talk about it again this week, Iowa has to figure it out a little bit on offense because yeah, they might be able to win the West, you know, doing what they do. The problem is, and who who knows what's going to happen at this point, but if they play a team that has an offense like Ohio State or maybe like a Penn State, they got to be able to score a little bit of points. And having your quarterback go for only 106 yards isn't really going to cut it when you play a team that is going to score 28 to 35 to 38 points. So We have to give at least a little bit of credit, though. I know the offense looked bad on Saturday, but they did score 20 points off of turnovers in this game. So when they needed to, they seemed to step up. I know one of those was a defensive score, so the offense can't get credit for it. But even so, you still got 13 points on the offensive side of the ball off of the turnovers. Yeah, I do think there's going to be a point this year where this is going to get them into trouble. But for right now, I'd be fired up about that defense. 
I can't, I don't know why, because it's going to be gross to watch, but I'm getting excited for that Wisconsin-Iowa game this year. It's going to be like a 7-3 game. Old school Big Ten football right there. Take the <laughs> under. Be a fun, yeah, whatever the under is, take it. But, I mean, what a start for Iowa this season. I mean, they really controlled both games against ranked opponents right out of the gate. And, you know, initially, if if you had told me they split the Indiana and Iowa State first two games of the year, I would have thought they'd still be in a pretty good position. But to really kind of control the games – defensively and really throughout the entire games. I'm really impressed with my Hawkeyes so far. Go from one impressive defense to another. Wisconsin, they might be the best in the Big Ten. They're right on par with Iowa anyways. It should be a fun matchup when they eventually get there. They beat Eastern Michigan 34-7. to Only seven points Eastern Michigan scored was a defensive score. Wisconsin allowed 92 yards and only three first downs against them. But this offense and Graham Mertz just leaving so much to be desired. I really don't know what to say about this team. They're not going to be able to score against any kind of defense with a, a secondary, it looks like. And it's just wasting what could be a very special Wisconsin defense. When you watch this team right now, do you have any kind of optimism about this team in the Big Ten? Because it's kind of hard to see them running through the rest of the West. I think this defense is legit and very could possibly be the best in the Big Ten along with Iowa. Uh, does it, is this correct? They gave up – how many total yards did they give up? 92. 92 total yards. Yeah, I mean, against anybody, I don't care that it was Eastern Michigan. That's impressive. But this kind of felt like a game to me like we were talking about Michigan last week where you're playing an opponent where you're going to win by three or four scores no matter what. You could really try to develop your quarterback and get some game reps in. Mertz's stats were fine, 14 to 17 for 141, but they didn't seem to stretch the ball down the field or really try to open up the offense, which is something that they're going to need to do. I mean, it's shown anytime they played any good opponent, and especially Ohio State, every time they play Ohio State, there's just so limited. Unfortunately, to me, this kind of looks like the same old. You know, nine and three, maybe ten and three, Wisconsin team. I guess I don't really have much to uh, to add to this at all. Yeah, this is it's tough to watch. We've seen very good defenses wasted before, and it seems like it's happening. Unfortunately, up in I'll, I'll take Wisconsin's defense as Ohio State's defense if they want to trade. That'd be cool. Yeah, I think a lot of Buckeye fans would be in that camp right now, but who knows? How- or just give me Jim Leonard. True. I'll take Jim Leonard. I think we could take him. I think everybody would be happy with that. We were talking yesterday. Hayden, I don't know if you were still here. I think you were. We were talking about switching Georgia's defense and Ohio State's defense and uh, just combining the two, obviously. And I was like, well, then you basically just have Alabama because, (laughs) I mean, I I just think Alabama's going to roll. I'm getting off track here, but just a little funny joke, I suppose. You can still get Alabama to win the national championship at plus 200 here. And that feels like a very good investment right now. Completely agree. Idaho went to Indiana. Indiana wins 56-14. to 14. It feels like kind of the story of the weekend for a lot of these Big Ten teams. But quarterback play, when do we start hitting the panic button on Michael Penix Jr., guys? 
Because he went, what, 11 of 16 for 66, 68, excuse me, 11 of 16 for 68 yards and two touchdowns. This was supposed to be one of those games that he was going to throw for 350 yards, look really good. Like, Indiana just doesn't feel like Indiana of last year anymore. This was another game that I did not watch because I had no interest in watching Idaho. But a couple things that stood out to me, yes, Michael Penix, he was another one of those quarterbacks that we talked about needing to take a step in the in the right direction for this team to be really relevant again. Um, and it doesn't seem like the first few games that he has, which is really concerning for the Indiana offense. But another thing that stood out to me was they only had 338 total yards of offense, and they scored 56 points. I don't know how that happens. I might want to watch the replay of that game just to see it because Idaho did only have one turnover as well. So, I mean, those are really the only two things that stood out to me. Not much you can really take away from beating up on a Idaho team. You know, one good thing is is for Stephen Carr, 22 carries, 118 yards on a touchdown. You know, he was the guy that transferred from, from USC. So that's a good sign for them, I guess. But, yeah, quarterback play seems like it's going to be an issue there. I, I, I don't know if, if Michael Penix just isn't comfortable from his injury yet or, or what's going on. I didn't watch this game, but they're going to struggle if he's only going to throw for 68 yards. The Howard Bison traveled to Maryland. Maryland went 62 to nothing. Outgained Howard 574 yards of 146. Talia Tagavailoa, he looked really good again. 274 yards, three touchdowns, only five incompletions. Maryland looks like they might be rolling into that Iowa game 4-0. And then we might be looking at a top 25 matchup on our hands. Not very much to take away from the Howard game, just like the Indiana game, you should beat up on a team like this if you're a Big Ten school. But, you know, to his little brother, I mean, he's really good. I, I think I was the highest on him out of us three going into the year. I think he's shown that he's um, still progressing. Rakeem Jarrett is an elite target that he has. Yeah, I didn't realize I'm, I had not taken a look at Minnesota's schedule in a long time. Or, I meant Maryland's schedule in a long time. But, yeah, if they could roll into that. Iowa game four and zero. That's uh, they get to host that too. That would be a big time Friday night matchup. Down goes your Hawkeyes. No, 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 no. Don't go that far there, Hayden. Then we'll go to our last game of the week, where the Washington Huskies went to Ann Arbor to play the Michigan Wolverines. Michigan won thirty-one to ten. They ran wild on this Washington defense. You heard Blake Corum talk about it in a post-game interview. Offensive line kind of took it personally that Washington thought they'd be able to shut down this rush attack. Casey, we'll go to you first. The rush attack went crazy. Not so great in the passing game. What were your key takeaways from this? Yeah, so there were two main takeaways from this game that are concerning or should be concerning for Michigan fans. The lack of the passing game is incredibly Important, I think, to Michigan's success that they could have this year. Cade McNamara just doesn't look like he's he's got it. And also, Josh Gaddis' offense does not look like anything's really changed in the past three years. But, I mean, credit to the offensive line. Credit to Corm and Haskins. They did run the ball 
very, very well last night. However, another concern is that pass defense. I think Washington's offense was so boring to watch in the first half. They were lining up in pro-eye and getting a yard or two and then having to punt after three plays. But in the second half, they really started taking some shots downfield and really started to expose the Michigan secondary once again. So those were the two main concerns that I have for the Michigan team right now. But I will I will touch on it really, really quickly. I have been very impressed with the defensive line and the linebackers of this team so far. I think that Josh Ross has really, really improved over his time at Michigan, and I think it's really shown. Aiden Hutchinson looked good last night, got two and a half sacks. He was really bullying that um, left tackle that entire first half, and they were saying that that kid was a uh, all-pack 12 player, which was pretty impressive. I was glad that Hutchinson was able to show out on um, a primetime game, really probably improved his draft stock pretty well. But just overall, I think the defensive line looks good. The uh, linebackers look good, but really same concerns as Michigan fans have had the past four or five years with the defense and offense. Yeah, a couple things, and I will beat this drum until it happens. Why is J.J. McCarthy not playing? You're telling me he couldn't go 7 for 15 for 44 yards. If Michigan's going to line up and just pound the rock all game, which, you know, credit to them, it worked. It, they They won. And they won pretty handily. But why not get your young quarterback the experience right now? This this game was never really in doubt from the very, very beginning. You could just tell Michigan controlled the game on both sides of the line of scrimmage. Why not have your young quarterback play? Get the reps. Gain some valuable experience. Especially when you're not... It, it obviously wasn't part of the plan to throw the ball. I, I'm going to keep saying that he should play every single game until... It actually happened because it should happen. Another thing, Blake Corum, I was I was high on him from last week. I'm still high on him. He's he has some explosiveness that, that this offense needs, you know, going forward to continue throughout the Big Ten play. One concerning thing on the offensive side, like Casey said, the offense, you're just gonna line up and pound it and when you're better than teams, it's going to work. But if you play teams that are equal, it's probably not going to, to work out great. I've talked about how Ronnie Bell's injury was a big a big hit for them. And I think we saw it in this game. You know, they only had 44 yards through the air. So it, it's going to be a thing, a, a theme throughout this, this season. Defensively, I, I'm, I'm still not, you know, they have been impressive but they, they played a max school the first week, and they played this Washington offense, which was absolutely abysmal. And, you know, credit to them. They sh- they shut them down most of the game. Casey said they opened it. I didn't watch the second half. I left the drive home, but they shut them down most of the game. They ended up with 293 passing yards, and most of that came in the second half. Yeah, so, you know, maybe the secondary is still a little bit of a concern. I would. I really, really want to see this Michigan defense play against a team that's you know a little bit equal in the trenches, and that's probably not going to happen until they play Wisconsin uh, the first week of October. That's going to be a pretty big game at Wisconsin. There, Michigan should be four zero going into that, and I think th- that game will tell me a lot about this defense if they're. They're physically and they're and they're still flying around and, and stopping the run. And then I'm all aboard the defense. I will say all you can do though 
is play who's on your schedule. And yeah, uh, yeah, you're you're exactly right. And and I don't mean to sound like I'm trying to take something away. It, it's I, I just I want to see a little more before I get my full opinion of of the defense made. No, I I'm with you. I just think that a lot of people going into it, we expected going into the year. I mean, this Washington Michigan game to be more high profile, especially. We didn't expect Washington to lose to Montana. We didn't expect Washington to put up a total of 17 points in the first two weeks of the season. But with that being said, the defense did their job. They played who they had to play, and they shut them down. Michigan does have concerns with the passing game. There's not a lot for me to add there. But I think it still is encouraging to have a team like Washington, who is one of the stingier defenses typically out there, know you're going to run the ball, and you still are able to do it at will, I'm going to take the positive of that and not so much focus on the negative right now because this was a big win for Michigan. I think that it, I think it probably gave everybody a little bit of a fire in their gut again to have a little bit of faith in this hardball regime, and it looks like they've focused on Michigan is back, baby. <laughs> I'm talking about that. They had the Ohio State. Like, what are you doing to beat Ohio State today? And even as a Buckeye fan, I would love to see that stuff come back. I want that rivalry at least to feel like a rivalry. I want them to hate us too. That's a long tangent going way off track. But very impressive win for Michigan right here. I'm looking forward to that Wisconsin game here in the next month. Do you guys have anything hey, else you want to add? No, but I, I have to go. Yeah, I'll like wrap we're done with up. all the games, right? Yeah, uh, do I Do I... Do I need to do anything? No, you're good. Casey and I'll wrap this up here. Perfect. Thanks, guys. Yep. See you, man. Bye. Did you have anything you wanted to add, Casey, or are you good? Nope. I'm good. But that is going to bring us to the end of another edition of Pigskins and Nylon. We'll be back later this week to preview the upcoming Week 3 slate and talk about all the Big Ten news. We hope you guys enjoyed the Drew Meyer interview. He's a really good dude, and hopefully we get him back on here after the season. And when Casey and Hayden can be there as well. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at P&NPod. Facebook at P&NPod. And Instagram also at P&NPod. Casey, what are your final thoughts for us right now? Been an incredible first two weeks of the college football. I guess three weeks, counting week zero. Of the college football season so far. We have some pretty interesting games next week as well. Michigan State taking on Miami is a, a game that intrigues me. Obviously, we talked about the Oklahoma-Nebraska game. We also have Cincinnati, Cincinnati and Indiana. And then Penn State and Auburn. Can't wait to see that whiteout. But that's my final thought. Thank you to uh, Drew Meyer for coming on and doing the interview. Really good guy. Can't wait to actually meet him. I haven't been able to be here for the first two interviews that we've done with him, but Sounds like a really nice dude and really thankful for him taking time out of his busy schedule to you know chat with us. Perfectly said, man. Well, then I guess that's going to wrap us up here. Casey, go watch your Steelers. Hopefully by this time comes out on Monday. I'm going to be hyped up for the Raiders. Enjoy the NFL slate, and we'll be back next week to talk more Big Ten football with you guys on Pigskins and Nylon.